last night we were praying for our missionaries, and um, we have uh, some missionaries in Peru, Romeo and Jessica Boucher, and they, um, they've been there for a while. They have, they have five kids, and she's pregnant with her sixth. She actually had another child while in Peru, and he passed away. So kind of a sad situation, but um, they are transitioning home from Peru for about a year and a half, and then they're going to be going to Eastern Europe to do ministry over there. So they're coming back, and they're actually moving to Spokane and doing some uh, language training, and then they're going to be headed out. But when they come back, they are going to need a vehicle. And with six kids, it's not a, they don't need a Corolla, right? They need something a little bigger. And the Lord kind of prompted on my heart that, um, that I would like our church to help provide a vehicle for them. So between now and December, I'm hoping to raise, I don't know, maybe four or $5,000 just to get um, an older Suburban or something like that, or maybe a 12-passenger van, something that they can use for their whole family. So um, I'd encourage you guys to be, number one, keeping your eyes open for a good deal if you have a neighbor that's selling one or something. And number two, um, pray how the Lord might help you contribute to that cause. Um, it's a great cause. They're a great family. And I just really feel like we as a church should, should do something to bless them and honor them for their time on the mission field. I think that's about it for announcements. Go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 13. So this morning, we'll be wrapping up John chapter 13. Pastor Scott last week took us up to about verse 30. And we spent some time looking at, at Judas and his betrayal of the Lord. And this morning, we're going to see what I think is one of the most important lessons that Jesus ever gave the disciples. Let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And as we open up this passage, Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us. It's such a rich passage. And we pray that you would help us just to take away all that you have for us, Lord. That you would speak to our hearts. That you would draw us close to you, Lord Jesus. And I just pray for those here who might not know you, that they would come to know you through the power of your word, Lord, and the power of your love. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. So one thing that I've learned in my years of ministry is that loving people is sort of messy, right? When we encounter people who have been beat up and broken down by the world, as we get involved in people's lives, it's messy. It's messy business, and we're going to get dirty ministering to the hurting people. It, it's, it can be a thankless job sometimes. But that hard, messy, dirty work of loving people, that's what the Lord has called each one of us to. And as we're going to see in this passage, I think this is the most important work that we can do as believers. More than that, it's, it's the supreme command of all believers to love one another. Open your Bibles to John chapter 13, and we'll be starting at verse 31. When he, speaking of Judas, had gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glory him at once. 
That's kind of a she sells seashells by the seashore kind of verse, isn't it? It's kind of a little bit of a tongue twister there, right? It's kind of hard to track a little bit and follow exactly what's going on there. After Judas had left to betray Jesus, Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified. And it seems as though Jesus is saying, now that Judas has left the building, Jesus would be glorified. Jesus leaving, or Judas leaving to betray Jesus, it, it set in motion a series of events that would ultimately lead to the cross. It set in motion a series of events that would lead to Jesus' arrest, to his trial, to his crucifixion, and ultimately to his resurrection and glorification. And so Jesus says, look, when I'm glorified, the Father is glorified as well. And vice versa. When the Father is glorified, he says the Son is glorified. And I think this is the, the heart of what Jesus is saying in these two verses. He says, look, when, when, when I'm glorified, so is the Father. When the Father is glorified, so am I. He's saying you can't glorify the Father and deny me. He says, it doesn't work that way. I was sent from the Father, and I'm obedient to the Father. And when you push back against me, Jesus says, you're pushing back against the Father as well because, because we're sort of a, a package deal, the Father and I. And he goes on in verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, interestingly, this is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus addressed his disciples as children. And he didn't mean it as an insult. He didn't mean, oh, you guys are acting like a bunch of children. Why don't you guys grow up? That's not the heart of what he's saying at all. I think he meant it with a sense of, of tenderness. And, and, and care and, and recognition of their, of their deep need of him. And Jesus says, look, my time is just about up. I won't be with you here much longer. And I think that that statement would have rocked the disciples' world. Right? Jesus was everything to them. Remember John chapter 6. Remember, all the, all the disciples were there. At that point, Jesus had a lot of disciples. And they're all gathered around, and Jesus says, Look, if you guys want to be my disciples, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And coincidentally, Jesus was actually making reference to this very night in John chapter 13 that we're looking at here, where Jesus and the disciples shared in the Last Supper, this, this first communion where Jesus gave them bread, remember, and said, this is my flesh. And he gave them the wine and said, this is my blood. And I wonder if at that last supper, all of a sudden as Jesus is saying those things, if it sort of clicked in the disciples' minds all of a sudden. Oh, that's what he meant way back then when he's talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. But when he says this in, in chapter 6, eat my flesh and drink my blood, most of the disciples were, were, were weirded out by that. And rightfully so, right? They didn't understand what he was saying. So 
eating flesh and drinking blood, that, that's weird. And so most of the disciples, they left Jesus, remember. And remember, Jesus turns to the, to the, the remaining 12. He says, are you guys going to leave too? And remember in verse 69, Peter turns to the Lord and says, where else can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Peter says, Jesus, you're, you're everything to us. And remember at this point, the disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They left their homes. They left their families, some of them. They left their careers. They certainly left their, their social standing. They would left everything to follow Jesus. And so when Jesus says that he's leaving, I'm sure that they were, they were, they were in shock. They were taken aback. What, Jesus, you're, you're leaving us. How can you do that? And Jesus says, remember, I told the Jews, and I'll tell you the exact same thing. And you can't come where I'm going. And he's talking about the cross here. Jesus says, look, I'm heading to the cross. I'm going to die for the redemption of humanity. And that's a job that I alone can do. You can't follow me there. And we know that the disciples would mostly be martyred later on. Several of them, according to church history, would be crucified. Peter himself would be crucified upside down. But Jesus here is simply saying, look, it's not your time yet. This is my time. This is the time predestined by the Father for me to pay for the sins of the world, to redeem humanity. A new commandment, verse 34. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think that these verses are, are, are the heart of the passage. And more than just being the heart of the passage, these two verses, they're the, they're the very heart of the gospel, aren't they? These are the heart of our Lord. Look what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows him. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I want you to see this and take note of what he says here. He says, God is love. And we've talked about this before. God has many attributes. God is just, he's merciful, he's holy, he's righteous, he's sovereign, he's omnipotent. There are many attributes of God. But John, here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, look, the one overriding attribute of God is love. His defining characteristic is love. The most descriptive thing that we can say about the Lord is that he is love. Everything else, all of his other attributes, all of his other characteristics, they're all covered by this umbrella of his love. Everything that he does, everything that he says, all of his actions, all of his judgments, they're all based in love. They're all initiated by love. His love for his people. And so Jesus here says, a new commandment I give you. And it's not as though Jesus had never told his disciples to love people before. It's not as though the Old Testament never commanded us to love people. 
But he says here, a new commandment. And that Greek word for new, it's Canaan, and, and it means fresh. He says, I'm giving you a, a, a fresh command. You know when your computer kind of freezes up or you want it, you click that refresh button, right? And it kind of brings it up, it, it renews it a little bit. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is, is resetting the command. He's refreshing the command for us to love here. He's, he's redefining the parameters of how we're to love people. Listen to what he says. He says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He doesn't just say love one another. He says love one another in the same way, in the same fashion that I have loved you. How did Jesus love the disciples? In humility first, right? He washed the feet of the disciples taking on the position of the lowliest of servants. We see that his love was self-sacrificing. He gave up heaven to be here, to dwell among us, putting the needs of others above his own needs, and ultimately laying down his life. And we're going to see this theme come up again in a couple chapters. John says in chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says the greatest act of love is to lay down your life for someone else. And that's exactly what our Lord did at Calvary, isn't it? Jesus says don't just love people. Love them the way that I love them. Love them the way that I love you. Love them unto death. That's hard, isn't it? That's a hard command to live up to. Nonetheless, that's our calling. To live a life of self-sacrificing love, putting others above ourselves. Remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2? Go ahead and turn there. This is a, a, a great passage. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 2, Paul says this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Then he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's a hard command, isn't it? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Count others as more significant than yourself. Look to the interests of others. That's almost exactly the opposite of what society teaches us, isn't it? What does society teach us? Look out for number one, right? Claw your way to the top. Walk on whoever you have to to get there. And the Lord says, no. If you're a believer, if you've been saved, you need to learn to count others as more significant than yourselves. 
Remember earlier in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 22, a religious student asked Jesus what he needs to do to be saved. And he's talking about you know, what, what the greatest commandment is. And, and it says this in chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What I want you to see here is that the gospel is people-centric. Do you see that in these verses? The gospel message is all about people, loving God and loving people. Remember John 3, 16, for God so loved what? The world. He's not talking about terra firma. He's not talking about this ball of dirt flying through the universe. He's, he's talking about the people of the world. He says that he sent his one and only son because he loved people. And we need to understand this. The gospel, the ministry, the church, it's all about people. And he goes on in verse 35, he says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, this is how the world is going to know that you're Christians. This is how they're going to know you're followers of Jesus Christ. By our love. Do you see that, church? The world isn't going to know we're disciples because of our righteousness or our self-righteousness. It isn't how much we put in the offering plate. It isn't how we serve at church. It isn't getting a little gold star by our attendance record at church. It isn't how many Bible verses we have memorized. Jesus says they'll know we are Christians by our love one for another. They'll know we are Christians by how we treat one another, how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's be honest. As the church... And I'm not speaking about Calvary Chapel Edmonds here, but, but the church at large in the U.S. and in, in Western culture, we're not really doing an awesome job of this, are we? And there's so much junk going on in church, so much division, so much gossip and backstabbing and hurtfulness. There's doesn't seem like there's a real sense of, of, of family within the body of Christ at large. You know, I think that that's one thing I really miss about our time in Belize. I don't miss the hot rain or the mud or the bullets or the cockroaches or the rats or any of that. But I miss that sense of family that we had. I miss how people genuinely looked out for one another. At our church there, nearly everyone was poor. But we always were seeing people doing these great acts of kindness for one another. Ladies always just showing up with a cake for somebody out of the blue and, and just bringing food to people at church. And, and, and when people were in need, other people who didn't have anything would, would, would sacrifice that little bit they had to help other people. And, and I see that here at Calvary Chapel Edmonds as well. Since we've been here, Denise and I have felt so loved, blessed by so many people. But in today's culture, I feel like we've really gotten away from that. It seems like as a culture, we're so wrapped up in our own lives. We're so consumed by 
our careers and our homes and our relationships and football and hiking and this and that. And on top of that, we have so many issues of our own, financial issues and health issues and employment issues. And it becomes so easy to focus on ourselves. It becomes so easy to focus on our needs, our wants, our desires. And we become self-seeking and self-serving and self-centered. And that's sort of human nature, isn't it? It's natural, it's normal, but listen. The gospel message is supernatural. It's, it's more than natural. That's what supernatural means, right? It's more than natural. It's above the natural. We've been called to a, a higher plane of existence. We've been called to more in life. And I confess, loving people is hard sometimes. You can ask my wife, loving me is hard sometimes. Loving you is hard sometimes. Ministry, as I said, can be dirty business. Loving people can be dirty business because people are messed up and broken and bleeding. But listen, the gospel is the dressing for their wounds. It's the ointment for their souls. We, you and I, as individuals and corporately, as a church, we need to be about the business of loving people. Here's the problem in our culture today. The problem is we don't even take time in our culture to get to know one another. Right? How can we love one another? How can we meet each other's needs when we don't even know one another? It seems like the, the, the day when people would get together and have block parties and hang out for barbecues, it seems like that, that time is gone. Right? It seems like in our culture now there's always work to do. There's always social media that has to be updated. There's always selfies to be taken. There's always projects to finish. And I don't believe that that's the way the Lord intended life to be. We as people, we are created to be relational. We're created to be in fellowship with the Lord and to be in fellowship with one another. And we will never be complete. We'll never be whole until we have that. And listen, I, I'm guilty of this as well. It's hard sometimes, but we need to put down our phone for three seconds and talk to people. Go out to lunch with people after church. Invite people into your home. You know, let's, let's actually stop right there. I'm going to give you guys a little assignment before we roll forward. I want you to hear what I said. This is, this is your homework. I challenge you guys to connect with somebody today. Maybe there's a family that you've been thinking about having over for dinner. Do it. Invite them. Connect. Now listen, don't be creepy about it, right? If there's some girl you've been wanting to ask out, this isn't your excuse. That's not what we're talking about. Pastor said to invite somebody over. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. But purpose in your heart Start living in such a way that you're in community with other believers, that you're in fellowship with them. We're called to love one another. To do that, we need to get to know one another. If our lives are not marked by love for God's people, 
what does that say about us? What does that say about our relationship with the Lord? And listen, I, I'm a people person. I like people. I like being around people. It's easy for me. And for some people, maybe you're just not wired that way. Maybe you have a hard time being around people. That's okay. Jesus said love people unless it's difficult. You can just go sit in your living room with your lights off and watch reruns of Friends instead. No. This is our calling. And if that's not easy, if that's hard for you, that's okay. Because it says that his strength is made perfect in weakness. Where we are insufficient, he will be our sufficiency. Where we fail, where we don't have what we need to do it, it's okay because he'll give us what we need to do it. He'll walk with us and he'll help us along the way. Verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. So Peter here, he asked the obvious question, right? He says, Lord, where, where are you going? We, we've, been, we've been following you around for three and a half years. I followed you out under the water, Lord. I walked up the mountain. I walked into the storm. I followed you into angry crowds. You're telling me I, I can't go with you now? Are you taking John with you? You can almost say that's kind of Peter's, Peter's personality there, isn't it? Lord, where are you going? And Jesus repeats himself, and he adds a little more. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. It's a little prophetic there even. Jesus says, you can't go where I'm going now, but your time will indeed come, Peter. As we mentioned earlier, Church history tells us that Peter was crucified as well. His time to follow Jesus to the cross came. But Peter here, he isn't thrilled by the answer. And then next verse he says, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And listen, we know the story, right? As Jesus is going to foretell in the next verse, we know how it all plays out and unfolds. But, but, but Peter here, he meant what he said. At that moment, I believe that Peter meant it, and he would have died for Jesus. And we see that in a few hours, don't we? Remember Jesus is there in the garden, and he's praying, and, and all the guards show up, and there's a whole platoon of soldiers. Remember what Peter does? He pulls out his fishing knife. Hops in front of Jesus and starts slashing away. Chops off Malchus's ear. He, he, he meant it. He was brave. And he says, Lord, why can't I come? I'll, I'll follow you to death. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus looks at Peter, this big, rough, crusty old fisherman. And I don't think that there was any accusation in Jesus' tone here. There was no anger. Sadness is probably what I think we would have heard. And Jesus says, Peter, you say you're ready to die for me. But here's the reality. Before tomorrow morning rolls around, you will already have denied me three times. 
And we know how that plays out in chapter 18, right? The first denial came, right? He's out there outside the, outside the courtyard, and a little girl comes up to him. Aren't you one of his disciples? I said, no, no, not me. Luke tells us, Peter says, woman, I don't know him. Time goes on. Peter's still standing there warming himself by the fire. And another man asks him, aren't you one of his disciples too? And Peter says, I am not. And then one of the priest's servants comes along. He says, yeah, wait a minute. You were were one of those Galileans. I, I saw you there at the garden a little while ago. Remember you cut off my cousin's ear. And again, Peter denied knowing Jesus. And at that moment, Luke chapter 22, verse 61 tells us, it says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the Lord, the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I look at the passage last week at Judas and I see Peter in this one. Both of them seem like they're kind of going down similar tracks. Both betrayed Jesus. And one of them went on to be one of the worst villains in history, right? Remember there was another disciple named Judas and the next chapter he's references as Judas but not Iscariot. And I imagine that Judas was probably there as John's writing. He said, hey, 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 make a note here. Make sure they know that, this, that, that I'm different than this guy. Right? He, there was, he, was a, he was a scoundrel. I mean, nobody, nobody names their kid Judas now. And so he says, make sure they know that I'm the other Judas. But look at both Judas and Peter betrayed the Lord. And this Judas, Iscariot, went on to be the greatest villain of all time. Peter, on the other hand, went on to become a pillar of the church, didn't he? The first pope. Is it, it's a little joke for you Catholics. Um, what's the difference? Why did one repent? and experienced restoration. And the other ran away, and his guilt drove him to suicide. Let's look at them for just a minute. One of them, Judas, his act was deliberate, pre-planned, premeditated. Peter's was more accidental, I would say. I think one was spiteful, and the other was a moment of, of weakness and fear. But more than those things, I think it was about love for Jesus. Peter genuinely loved the Lord with all of his screw-ups and saying the wrong thing at the wrong time and doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. He loved Jesus. And he was a genuine follower right after the third denial there in Luke chapter 22. Remember it says that Jesus turns and he looks at Peter. I imagine their eyes lock. And at that moment, Peter realizes what he's done. 
and his heart is broken over his sin. And it says that he wept bitterly over his sins. We see a repentant heart there. We see a heart that loved the Lord. Judas, on the other hand, was a religious fraud. He didn't have any love for God. He didn't have any love for the Lord. He was only in this thing for what he could get out of it. And, and he might not even have known it at first. He might have thought that he was okay with the Lord. But as time went on, it revealed that there was no love in his heart. There was no dedication to the Lord. There was no sorrow over his sin. There was no repentance on his part like there was on Peter's part. And afterwards, Judas went out and hung himself. He was sad. He was guilty over what he was done, but he wasn't repentant. And, and, and that's the key difference here. There was no repentance. Judas could have called on the Lord. He could have been saved. He could have been restored just like Peter, but he didn't. And I think it boils down to this. It boils down to our hearts for the Lord. The first greatest commandment we looked at, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We see that Peter went on to be a great lover of people. But first, he was a lover of God. And the natural outpouring of that was love for people. That ministry, that love, that desire to serve people, it has to be a reflection of our love for God and our desire to serve Him. So I'll close with this thought. We have all, betrayed Jesus. We've all denied him. We've all sinned against him. We've all turned our backs on the Lord at some point. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've gone our own way, done our own thing. Jesus went to the cross to forgive Peter's sin, to restore him. Jesus went to the cross to forgive Judas's sin and to restore him. One chose to repent. One chose to tell the Lord that he was sorry for his sins and allowed the Lord to restore him and to save him. And the other didn't. He went out in shame and hung himself. And the question is this. Who are you this morning? Are you Judas or are you Peter? Because we're all either one of the two. The question isn't, have you failed the Lord? The question isn't, have you denied the Lord with your actions? Because we all have. The question is, do you get back up? And do you repent? And do you allow the Lord to restore you? And maybe you're still Judas. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Maybe you've been around church. Maybe you've been around the Lord. Maybe you've seen and experienced and witnessed the things of the Lord, but you've never made that commitment to him. You've never fallen in love with Jesus. Here's the good news. You get to pick your team. You get to pick which side you want to be on. You can be forgiven of your sins, and you can be washed clean and restored. If you've never done that, I'd encourage you to do that this morning.
to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. We're going to close in prayer. And as the worship team comes back up, if anybody has any prayer requests, any questions about how to give your life to the Lord, if you just want to bring something to the Lord, myself and some of the elders would be available and we'd love to pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love for us, Lord. We thank you that you created us to be in relationship with you and with one another, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to walk before you and to love people, Lord Jesus. And we just lift up anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, who hasn't never given their life to you or maybe who isn't where they should be, Lord, that you would just work in their hearts and that you would draw them unto yourself, Father. We pray that in your name.